Here Now is an exclusive CVBT audio interview on an issue that impacts business and the people who do business here in the Great Central Valley. What's stopping women from getting to the top in many corporations? Well, on any list that you might make, backstabbing might not even make the list. But two veteran educators who are studying the problem say women are often undermining other women in the workplace. On this CVBT audio interview podcast, we talk with the researchers, Joy Wiggins, who's founder and executive director of Joy Wiggins LLC, a consulting company focusing on equity, inclusion, and social justice, and Camille Anderson, who is founder and executive director of Bilingual Brown Babies, a company focusing on fostering bilingualism in black families. In their new book, From Sabotage to Support, A New Vision for Feminist Solidarity in the Workplace, they detail not just the problem, but steps to solve it. Joy and Camille, let's start by giving our listeners a little bit about your backgrounds. Sure, I'll go. This is Joy. Um, So for us, um, for me in particular, I'm a professor at um, Western Washington University, and I have my own business. And it's an equity and consulting um, inclusion business. And um, Camille and I first met in Madrid, Spain at a professional development seminar. And it was on intercultural communication. And we realized that there were some things that we really um, felt were maybe missing around ideas around women and how women come together, but also along cultural lines and social justice lines. And so as I um, was writing I had done some research on how women sabotage each other early in 2007, and then I did a TED Talk on it. And as I was talking with Barrett Kohler, our publisher, I thought, you know what, how can I write a book about women coming together, you know, by myself? So Camille and I had already been established, you know, a pretty good friendship, and we had already, you know, had a lot of these conversations, and I thought, oh, this just makes sense for Camille and I to do it. And so we really, the way it came together was, was really smooth and pretty seamless. There was certain things along the way that we addressed that we actually addressed even in the book. And it was fantastic because we were able to really talk to each other and we care about our friendship enough to to talk to each other about some of the things that we're noticing, especially along racial lines and how white women and black women in particular come into some hurdles and there's a a history that um that has never had established trust between black women and white women in particular but also women of color and so we felt that was a really important thing to note in the book well camille would you uh, bring us up to speed from your point of view yes so as joy said we did we met in spain my background is actually in intercultural communication so i've done a lot of faculty of faculty trainings and organizational trainings around cultural sensitivity and just just being able to communicate across cultures more effectively i'm a former professor i am what i call a recovering academic And I have my own business where I work with families, with black families in order to help them to become bilingual, looking at my research background of language and identity and how that influences how we see ourselves. 
in when it comes in how we use language as a lens for that. But yeah, so Joy and I were, were having these conversations because when we were on this trip in Madrid, there, it was majority women. And being able to watch our observations of how we were engaging with one another, how our, our facilitator, who was also a woman, was engaging with us or not engaging, depending upon how that might have worked, and being able to really have these discussions about the blind spots that we had while we were on the trip, things that I might have noticed that Joy didn't, things that Joy might have noticed that I didn't, and being able to really have those conversations. And after she was talking about her TED Talk, and after she started really getting into being able to really look at what this sabotage look at and what looks like, and what the root of it is, we thought it was absolutely necessary to just, you know, make sure that if we're going to include this, we have to include all perspectives. We have to be able to talk about what it looks like to meet in the middle from these various experiences and this and i agree 100 percent with joy that the way that we engage as friends and colleagues helped a lot in terms of making sure that we we're very personal and vulnerable in how we were sharing our own personal stories in the book in order to make sure that folks were able to relate to a lot of the instances and a lot of the concepts that we were talking about now i i wonder has anybody measured how widespread this problem of backstabbing uh, among women might be in the work workplace? Well, you know, there's Catalyst and Forbes and some other, um, you know, online metrics have done some surveys and things like that. And they have noticed that, yes, there is some sabotage, but that, you know, women more and more are supporting each other. So I think it has improved. Um, but I think at the same time, just knowing from a qualitative standpoint, just the stories that we have gotten from women and the, oh yeah, you know, those, those um, reactions that we've gotten, that it's still quite prevalent. And, you know, just yesterday I did a workshop with about 30 women and a lot of them were just, you know, they were eager to talk about it because I think it's, it feels sometimes like, is it me or was that sabotage? Or, you know, was that me? Did I do something wrong? Is there a reason why this woman treated me this way? And I think if we really look at it from a structural and societal standpoint, we see that it's the way we've been socialized to engage with one another as women. And it's really not so much about individuals trying to take each other down, but that it's a societal competition and pressure. And it starts, you know, early on in elementary and middle school when we have this mean girls idea. And so I think many women are very familiar with it. And it's almost become like second nature that they're either used to it or they've seen it happening. And that's not to say that women cannot come together and support each other. That's not what we're saying. We're, what we're saying is that these things happen. Sometimes we're doing them, like you said, consciously or unconsciously. And maybe we feel like, oh, this woman just said that thing to me, but it didn't feel right. But I don't know what to say or what to do about it. And for us, the book really outlines what is sabotage and what does it look like? How does it happen? And then how can we start to self-correct? How do we actually come together and listen to one another and realize these things are happening so we could stop it in its tracks. Camille, uh, I wonder if you would take it from the manager's perspective. What should a manager be on the lookout for and what steps should be taken to uh, reduce the problem? I think from a manager's perspective, it's really important for, especially if you're going to 
see yourself in a leadership position, being able to really understand the full history of the folks that are working with you, not just what they bring in terms of roles and responsibilities, but looking at them as a person and being able to really understand that, yes, you've had countless people that might have filled this role as uh, account manager, but this account manager that might be Latina or or white or black or Asian has very different experiences as women and those experiences aren't necessarily universal. We can't assume that all women have have had the same reaction when it comes to the, the various experiences that we've had in life and we can't assume that um, that ethnicity does not also play a part in that. So I think as managers, it's really important for you to make sure that you're acknowledging the whole person that is filling the role that you are that you are overseeing and making sure that they understand that their inclusion of them as a whole person is just as important as the work that they do and that can be that can be extra that can be an extra task for a manager to take the time to be able to do that but i think being able to allow their their employees to be able to feel as though they are fully included is actually going to help with productivity and effectiveness in their roles in within that organization uh, Joy, as you two were working on the book, uh, what examples from real life did you pull out to explain the problem and solutions? Well, we have a lot of great stories in the book. Um, you know, Camille and I go back and forth on our own stories, and then we also interview other women and we provide other stories. Um, that they've experienced. So at the, at the beginning of each chapter, there's somebody that will say, what does it look like for them to show up to work as their authentic self? And, you know, sometimes they, some, one, of the, one of the quotes really quickly is just said, at what point will I not have to demand to be supported by the white women in my department? When will I need to stop reminding them to stick up for me when people say things that are untrue or offensive? Then I have to remind myself it doesn't stop until they want to do it on their own. So that's one of the, the vignettes and the stories that we have. Another story is a colleague talked about um, this woman um, said to her, well, you know, why are you, why are you not on the schedule? She was supposed to be scheduling her. And the woman that we interviewed said she had just suffered a miscarriage, but she didn't want anybody to know that. And she didn't want the people at work to know that because she didn't want that to be used against her. And so for her, finally, because this woman kept prying and asking her and asking her and, and basically kind of spreading rumors around the office that this woman was not working hard enough and she wasn't available, she finally had to divulge this thing that she didn't want to divulge about her miscarriage. And so when we start to, like Camille is saying, when we start to realize that people come to work with stories and challenges, and that's uniquely different for all different women, that instead of assuming that they're not doing their job or assuming that's, that they are not going to be productive, to understand that there's a story there. And how do we actually, when we, when we cultivate and create a climate that is inclusive and a sense of belonging and people have a voice, then they're more apt to understand maybe something's going on. How can I support this woman rather than sabotage her by spreading rumors about her and in the office? And we have a ton of different stories just like that. We even have it along um, male-female lines where uh, a man introduced a director of an institute and said they were on live TV and she's, he said, oh, this is my beautiful colleague. And you know, that really dismissed who she was in her role as a director of this institute. And she said, oh, you know, what do I say to him? I know he was well-intentioned, but that just completely cut me down by saying that. 
Um, he thinks it's a compliment, but it's, again, just positioning women as that they have to be beautiful and they have to look a certain way and diminished her, her actual work. And so, you know, I had said, well, why don't later on you say to him, hey, you know, I know that you were trying to give me a compliment and your intentions, you know, were all well and good, but that actually dismisses, you know, my work and my role as a director when you call me beautiful. Can you just call me by my name? And hopefully those types of things are remedying that. So we provide stories and we also provide solutions. Camille, for what you and Joy have been telling us, this sounds like we are finding yet another role for managers in a very sensitive time, certainly here in the United States, of supervision. What advice do you have for managers to make sure that they they can solve these problems and and not step in it so to speak is that a good way to put it i'm I'm trying to get managers to walk through the minefield without tripping anything off yes one of the things that joy and i talk about and i actually was a part of one of these when i was at my university is the idea of being able to have safe spaces for affinity groups so making sure that women or um, or women of color or men of color or whatever that might be have spaces to be able to share concerns and issues but then also develop resolutions and solutions that they can present to decision makers so that they can be able to feel as though they're being supported and being able to allow space to be able to give folks opportunity to be able to have these discussions safely and being able to have these discussions without fear of retaliation or fear of that that's going to have an impact on their performance evaluations but really is a place for them to be able to voice concerns for effective change within the organization is one of those areas that can be that can be extremely beneficial for managers to be able to consider and it doesn't take much in terms of overhead it's really just allowing them a conference room space and being able to have the space for them to be able to have that and giving them opportunity to be able to just have that that moment to exchange this isn't a venting session we're not talking about venting and just griping for the whole time but really talking about what some of those concerns are within the workplace so that you can be able to have solutions and offer solutions so that there can be some 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 intentional change that happens now to both of you let's name some names what companies or organizations do you think are doing this the best I think that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I think that I think it depends on who you know at that company to find out the real story. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that companies can put on their website and make it look like they're inclusive, but are they really? And so I think when you're looking at how successful it, are these you know employee resource groups, these affinity groups, how much are they really listening to them? Um, I think that that's something that you almost have to have an insider to find out. There are a lot of great companies out there. There's a lot of great websites and resources that say, okay, great places for women to work. And that those companies have gotten resources and they've gotten um, accolades for doing that. And, but I think it's also important to, to find out, you know, get, get reviews on that company. Look at those reviews to see, are they as inclusive as they say they are? And I think that also when you are doing um, any interviews, uh, a manager should really ask the person they want to hire, the applicant, 
how, what does an inclusive workspace look like to you? So how can they maybe ask them, flip, flip this idea of saying, oh, hey, this is how great we are and this is how inclusive we are. Actually ask the applicant, what does it look like for you? How can we support you? What does that look like? And I think it's also important for us to realize that organizations, there are organizations that are making changes, but we're, we're turning a barge. It's, this isn't a sports car that we're not trying to turn on a dime. This is something that is going to take time. So I think even with the efforts that organizations might be making in order to make sure that they're being more inclusive, that they're being more supportive of the folks with whom they, the, whom they have in their employ, it's important for us to also acknowledge that this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. Joy and I are even clear that our book is, is the start of a process for folks to be able to have and being able to understand that by reading the book, you're going to get those tools that'll help you to be able to turn that barge successfully and understanding that that does take time. We do have to allow that grace. We do have to allow that empathy, but then knowing, but the, but also being very clear, but the barge does have to turn. So we're not just going to, we, it still has to turn, even though we know it's going to take some time. Well, that's, that's really a, a good analogy because no barge ever turned swiftly, that's for sure. Uh, when, what do you think the future is going to look like if you look at the uh, current state of business and organizations in this problem? And where and when do you think it will have evened out and solved itself, if at all possible? Well, Joy, well, I'll toss that one in your, in, into uh, your ballpark. Okay. Um, well, you know, Unfortunately, when we think about the, the pay gap, um, we are not supposed to, women are not actually going to reach pay equity until 2059. And if we, it slows, if it continues that slow process that it has since 2001, it's actually 2159. Um, so that's the pay equity gap. Um, so I know that that's not, that's not a positive news, but I think I love the analogy that can be used as far as a barge, because I, I think it's going we have to make a concerted effort to not just look at our individual acts and the way we act individually, but how do we change a system and a system of the way that we do things, the structures of our companies have to change. And for us to do that, we have to take a good hard look at some of our policies and procedures and the ways that we recruit and retain employees. And that's one of the most important things. And to look at how do we create a climate where people do feel like they can bring their whole selves to work and that they, their voice is heard. They're not being dismissed in meetings. How do we amplify those that have felt marginalized? So how do we amplify those voices? And I think a lot of that is really looking at this from a societal standpoint and a structural standpoint to a grassroots. And how do we bring those things together? So we're, we're, we're working at it from the top and working at it from the bottom. And, and Camille, what do you think about that? I, I would agree with Joy. I would also say that we, we are also very clear in this country that our education system is that, is that foundation for being able to, to create these wonderful employees. So what can we do with the education system in order to ensure that we're producing students that are supportive of one another, that are more collaborative, that are able to acknowledge the whole person? So there are some ways in which even us looking from the beginning stages before they become an employee, while they are still in that what we would call in K through 12 and higher ed, that, that training stage of being able to enter into the workforce, what tools are we giving them so that when they come out, it's not a matter of being able to train them because this is already something that is second nature for them. So being able to look, yes, by, by making sure that we have the changes that we need in the workplace now, but then also considering long-term 
where are some other places in society where we can make some adjustments in order to make sure that that support is actually there? We, we have been kind of looking at this, if not from the 30,000-foot level, but from at least the 10,000-foot level from the management standpoint. What do you talk with uh, other women about so they can address this on an individual um, frontline basis? What advice do you offer? Well, one of the things that we do try to offer is making sure that you're taking the time to really get to know the history of the woman that you're, that you're engaging with. What, what is her sociocultural history? Not just how did she get to the job, but what might be some of those other experiences that might have impacted her? One of the things that Joy and I do in our trainings when we're working with women is really talking about, you know, what are some of those, those cultural events that have impacted how you just maneuver as a person? through this world and how might that impact how you interact with people at work? How might that impact how someone might interact with you at work? And really taking the time to do that, that social research of sorts in terms of being really to, able to really understand a, another person's perspective on how they see things. There are things that happen every day that impact us or don't but understanding that that's not going to be the same for each and every person. I might not be impacted by the rain in Seattle right now, but that rain might have something to do with how Joy is able to move through the day. And I've gotta be able to understand that. And when it comes to why she might be responding slower, it might be her connection, all those things. I can't assume the worst. I have to really look at that larger picture, socially and culturally. Joy, what would you like to add to that? Well, I, I agree. I think this, um, obviously I agree. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think that, um, you know, we, we come to the table with different challenges and I think recognizing that their societal challenges don't stop at our doorsteps. We actually take those with us to work. And so for me, you know, as, as a queer woman, I, you know, if I just had a homophobic remark, um, slewed at me that day, um, I might come into work in a funk. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that, that's an extra layer that we may not understand that somebody else is going through. Um, and for Camille, you know, there might have been, you know, a shooting or um, a police shooting of, of a young black man that, you know, is going to affect her. And those are things that I, as she told me that story that, you know, she sometimes she'll, if that happens, that it the, deeply affects her because she has three young sons. So that is something for us to consider when we interact with one another that, you know, even when there was a Sandy Hook shooting, I remember I stopped working halfway through the day and went and picked up my daughter from daycare because I felt like there's no way she's going to spend another minute, you know, in a school when this just happened today. And I think understanding that society is on top of us all the time and it comes with us and it gets carried with us all the time, sometimes like heavy baggage. And when we can understand that someone might be coming to work with a different challenge than we may have experienced, our empathy and our compassion has to be expanded. And we have to start to understand that we do have these different challenges and how do we support one another um, with that solidarity. Like, wow, how can I help you today? I know this must have been a rough morning or a rough day for you. How can I help? Camille, what would you like to add that I haven't asked you yet? 
Um, I think that it is really important for us to be able to consider that employ as employees, as in as managers, as supervisors, as C-suite um, occupiers of space. We it needs to be really clear that you know it is possible to look at what we're doing in terms of how we might feel as though we're being supportive, how we might feel as though we are contributing to the, the, the safety and well-being of our employees, but to also take that moment to reflect what else might also be true. And when we think about that, what else might also be true, that is going to involve us being able to have or be able to initiate difficult conversations. It's not for us to be able to feel admonishment in that moment. It really is genuinely to be intentional about change and truly supporting who we have in our organizations. And I think we should be okay with initiating difficult dialogues. I know that sometimes that can be uncomfortable. It can make it can make us feel a particular way. And then we need to make sure that we are being intentional about pushing through those feelings for the sake of support. And Joy, same question to you. What would you like to add that I haven't asked? Well, I think to, to piggyback off of uh, what Camille said, I think that when we have this sense of cultural humility and rather than blaming and shaming someone for when they have done us wrong or when or getting defensive when someone has told us, you know what, you actually did something kind of offensive, I think it's really important that we listen and we pause and we reflect and say, huh, okay, how can I do this better? And even though this may not be my experience, or maybe I don't understand it, this person is telling me that there is something wrong or that something happened, and I need to be able to pause and reflect and listen to them. And one of the, the best T-shirts I saw um, that a woman was wearing on a plane, was it said, believe women. And I thought that's true for all of us, not just around the Me Too movement, but also around when women share their experiences of oppression or marginalization or, or anything like that, that we believe them. And that is so, so important because that then opens up dialogue and then we can have those critical conversations. And we have to be brave and we have to be courageous in order to have those conversations and invoke that cultural humility to where we can listen with an open heart. This has been another exclusive CVBT audio interview. If you found this interesting and informative, please tell your friends where you heard it. And feel free to download the audio for your reference. You are tuned to CentralValleyBusinessTimes.com, the place to go for business news of the great Central Valley.